pray your blessing on this event in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I will get on to what I'm going to say, but (laughs) first of all, I want to say this is Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday to me is very special because on Palm Sunday in 1940, I started Sunday school. Now, I am aware that that was the day after Noah entered the ark. It was so long ago. (laughs) For some of our young people here, it's almost unimaginable, the year 1940. The war was on. Um, And I know it was Palm Sunday because I kept for about 50 years in my Bible a little palm leaf out of green paper that somebody had painstakingly cut out for me and put a verse of scripture on it that day. So this is a celebration of the beginning of my walk with God. It's a lovely day for me. Also, we don't have very much on the screen because Google has got the sulks. It's refusing to talk to my computer and as somebody um, in the home group pointed out, it's unfriended my computer. So all I have for us this morning is the actual reading. Um, I've been experimenting with the size of the font and I'm terribly sorry if that's very tiny. Um, I will learn eventually what we can read and what we can't. But let's read, first of all, this account from Luke um, of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on this day, just a few days before the cross and the resurrection. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphagi and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I wonder if we could just move this. Otherwise I'm going to knock it. Thank you. So we have this lovely picture of Jesus entering Jerusalem. I love the story of the cult. Never mind the fact that it had never been written before. It wasn't broken in for anyone to ride. I think even just the action of throwing cloaks on an an unbroken animal would have been enough normally to spook it. It doesn't take much to spook an animal. Just throwing cloaks over it would have been enough. It took that in its stride. 
And it just seems to me that this created creature knew its creator. Now, I don't mean intellectually it thought about it the way that we do, but it recognised its creator. There was no need for anyone to break it in. Its creator needed it and there was the cult ready for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem. Coming in on a donkey had a special meaning. Now, I don't know about you, but I always find donkeys quite amusing animals and I think when I see people astride a donkey and jogging along it always looks to me rather ridiculous and I don't know how you get on if you're six foot five I don't even know whether you get your feet off the ground because the the donkeys are so low down but in these days it was not a ridiculous sight at all kings rode on donkeys but if a king was riding a donkey he came in peace If he was going out to war, he rode a war horse. But if he was riding a donkey, such a humble, lowly animal, the sign was that he was coming in peace. Now, there's a paradox in that to me with Jesus entering Jerusalem because actually he was coming to fight. We've got the story of the cross and then the resurrection. This was the greatest battle ever fought in the history of the world. But he didn't come on a war horse to fight that battle because flesh and blood were not his enemies. He was not fighting people, despite the fact I'm going to talk in a moment about the Jews and the Romans. But his, his fight was not against them. His fight was against Satan. And he came in victory. The palm branches and the branches being waved were a sign of victory. Some time before, when Judas Maccabeus had won a notable victory, he entered Jerusalem and the people waved palm branches and boughs off trees because there are no palm branches apparently just there. They had to cut them from elsewhere and bring them. And that was a symbol of victory. So here is Jesus coming in peace, coming to fight the greatest battle ever fought, but coming already in victory. And he accepted that from the crowds. And all through this, now, when Andy messaged me and said, would I please preach today, he raised the question, what was going on in heaven? It's something I'd never thought about before. I thought about what was happening here on earth, never thought about what was going on in heaven. And of course, the angels were involved as well in praising Jesus just as the people did because they were about to witness Jesus' death and resurrection, his fight and his victory over all the powers of sin and darkness and evil. And so as the people welcomed Jesus and praised him, so did the angels in heaven and so they still do. And it is a wonderful um, invitation for you and me to join in those praises, to celebrate the King on this Palm Sunday. But I've told this story over the years to children and I've heard it preached on many times and we tend to tell it as if that's the only thing that was happening in Jerusalem at that time. Now I know I said this last year, if you've got long memories you'll remember, if you don't remember, good, because (laughs) it'll come across as something fresh. But I do want to remind you that 
that this was not the only event. And I find it very interesting that Jesus chose this day to ride in Jerusalem when on the Jewish side there was an enormous amount of ceremony going on and on the Roman side there was also a huge ceremonial procession. And yet in the middle of these two things, here we've got Jesus. So let's just leave Jesus and his cult and the disciples for the moment and let's look over here at what was happening in the Jewish life. This is just a few days before Passover. And Passover was one of the feasts that they really got into celebrating and if you know any Jewish people today, you'll see how really they are head over heels into celebrating Passover today. They will go out and buy all the appropriate things that they need. They will be so particular about how they set out their Passover feast. Passover is a really significant day for Jewish people. Now it has a spiritual significance and here we are linking this with Jesus. The spiritual significance was that this was how God led the people out of slavery in Egypt to freedom and ultimately into their promised land. And he did it by sending a final plague upon the Egyptians and said that the angel of death will come to each house and the eldest son, the firstborn son, will die. And then he made a way out for the Israelites. He said you take a lamb and you kill it and you paint some of the blood over your doorpost and as the angel of death passes over I will see the blood and I will pass over you. That's the origin of the word. And then he told them they were to eat the lamb and other things with it. We won't go into all that at this stage. And they were to celebrate that every year and remember how God had led them out of slavery, into freedom. Come back to Jesus again. What a mighty picture of Jesus about to lead us on the cross and the resurrection out of slavery and into the freedom, not just of the promised land on this earth, but of his kingdom where he is the king. A great, great picture. And that's why it was to be celebrated every year, to teach the people, not just about what God had done hundreds of years earlier, but what he was going to do through his son, not just for the Jews, but for the entire world. Now, they had the custom of having one lamb for about every 10 people. So that might be a couple of households. By the time of Jesus... On this day, by this Sunday, there would have been thousands and thousands of extra people in Jerusalem on top of its ordinary population because everybody within 20, a 20 mile radius would come into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover but people came from overseas. And then they stayed on because we hear about them in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. So people came from everywhere. There were thousands and thousands. Jerusalem was heaving. And this day was so special because this was the day they chose the lambs for the Passover sacrifice. While that's going on over there, what's happening here? Unbeknownst to the people, they were choosing the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. They were choosing the lamb for the Passover. 
what a picture of Jesus. Although I said this last year, I feel it's worth repeating because it just adds to our understanding. It gives us another depth to this procession with Jesus as to what was going on. Unbeknownst to them, they were choosing him as their lamb. Now, there's a link between what was happening over here on the Jewish side and what was happening here on the Roman side. It wasn't just a religious celebration and indeed Jews who are in no way religious today will keep Passover because it has such a national flavour to it. It is, their, it is the birth of the Jewish nation. They went down into Egypt, just a big family. They came out a nation. That is the birth of the Israelite nation. And that's what they were celebrating on this day, as well as remembering what God had done and the religious bit. It was a really national day. Now the Romans were in charge. Can you see, doesn't take much imagination, to see if you've got umpteen thousand of disaffected Jews who want to be rid of the Romans and they're all together in the one place, all celebrating their national identity and their national day, what is the likelihood of happening? A revolution, a rebellion. So now we come over to the Roman side. There's a couple of things about the Roman Empire that made them so successful. In the first place, their soldiers were so good that for the hundreds of years of the Roman Empire, they were hardly ever defeated. Until you get to the decline of the Roman Empire, they hardly ever lost a battle. They were so good. Secondly, when they took over a country, they put in a most efficient administration and indeed we've still got an overhang of some of it in our government and legal system and all the official words like legal that I've just used, are all, they're all Latin words, they all come to us from Rome. A most efficient system of administration, another Rome, a Latin word, but also... What made them um, acceptable and successful locally was they allowed the local communities to go on with their ordinary community life, practice their religious life, their ordinary customs, their language <coughs> and so on. So people's everyday lives were not unduly interfered with but, and there is a very big but to it, let there be the merest sniff of dissension, of rebellion and the full force of Rome would come down on you like a tonne of bricks. And that was how they kept control. They put down very, very severely any suspicion of rebellion. And on this day, Josephus tells us on this same Palm Sunday, there was a great Roman procession coming into Jerusalem. This is the day on which Pontius Pilate, the governor, came triumphantly also into Jerusalem. Now it takes no imagination at all, no speculation to think he didn't come alone. He came with every Roman soldier he could muster and he came with every weapon that anybody could lay hands on with all their armour gleaming and absolute 
display of strength. Now we see them on our television. You look at North Korea or China or somewhere and you see all those thousands of soldiers and you see all the weapons on display. <clears throat> now whether they're real weapons or bits of cardboard painted over, who knows. But they're there as a display of military might. <coughs> and that's exactly what this was. This was a display of military might. We are the rulers. We are in charge. Dare to lift a finger and you'll regret it. So here we have Jesus on his donkey coming in triumph with the people welcoming him but against this backdrop. Now the interesting thing, if you had said to the Romans on that day, do you know in about 300 years time, less than that, under the Emperor Constantine, this man and his religion are going to be the official religion of the Roman Empire the greatest show of military might in the world means absolutely nothing in God's kingdom. Absolutely nothing. But there's another thing that really occurred to me this time as I was thinking about this story today. Nothing happened by accident. From here to, no, nothing in Jesus' life, but looking at from here to the cross, none of it was accidental. Now, I don't know if you've had the experience of just going along living your ordinary everyday life, doing your best as far as you're concerned, and all of a sudden, you find yourself somewhere and you think, how on earth did I get here? What on earth has happened that I'm here? You're going on with your ordinary life and suddenly somebody in the family picks a huge fight with you and screams and yells and, and argues with you or, heaven prevent it, but a husband walks out on a wife or, or you suddenly find yourself in court or you're suddenly given an order for a, a huge fine and you're not even sure how on earth you've incurred the fine and you stand there and you think, how the merry dickens did this happen? I, was I blind that I didn't see any of it coming? This was not the case for Jesus. He did not just bumble along into Jerusalem for the next few days and then find himself on a cross thinking, well, how did it come to this? It was intentional. Revelation tells us he is the lamb slain from the creation of the world. So every step along the way is intentional. And I'm sure I must sound like an old cracked record because I think I say this every time I get up here. But we are such slow learners. When things happen in our life and they look like such a threat to us and they look like terrible things, the might of the Roman Empire marching in, just remember, nothing is ever accidental with God. He has his plan and his purpose and his purpose is good. His will for us is perfect, just as his will for Jesus was perfect. Now, the other thing that always occurs to me when I think about this procession coming along with Jesus into Jerusalem it's interesting, Jesus accepted their worship and their praise as they gave it. Hosanna, they worshipped him. Welcome to the king, they called him the blessed is the king 
I mean, if ever there was a statement to stir up Pontius Pilate and his Roman cohorts marching in, there was one. Likewise, the Jews who had two high priests that year, not one but two, another thing to stir them up. And yet this is going on and Jesus is accepting it. But it always seems to me you've got to look at what did this crowd expect their Messiah to look like? Now they saw him coming in on a donkey but really they wanted him coming in on a war horse. Really they wanted him to have all that might that Rome had. They wanted him to be leading soldiers with weapons as Simon Maccabeus had done when we had this earlier triumphal procession. They wanted to see someone rise up and kick out the Romans. Now they had Buckleys of doing that but nonetheless, unless of course that was in God's plan, but that was what they wanted and incidentally God did not want to crush the Romans or throw them out. He was going to use the Roman Empire. When the gospel was preached, the missionaries were going to walk on the Roman roads. They were going to go in Roman ships. They were going to use the Greek language was right, right throughout the Roman Empire. They were going to be able to walk from country to country in peace because the Romans brought peace with them. The Roman Empire was the most marvellous vehicle for spreading the gospel. You couldn't imagine a better vehicle at that time for getting the gospel from England at one end and almost to India at the other. Everything in the Roman Empire allowed that to happen so easily. So God didn't want the Romans defeated. He was going to use them. So take note because the same thing applies for us. Whatever might be going on that we don't like, it might be that God's not going to change those circumstances and throw them out, but he can use them. He can use them for his own purpose. But we have to be very careful when we worship Jesus, it's always in my mind this one, that I'm not trying to turn Jesus into the Messiah that I want. Not to try to make him into the Messiah that's going to give me a nice, and again I sound like an old crack record, that's going to give me a nice comfortable life and answer all my needs. The thing that strikes me about this this, this thought of the angels in heaven, they worshipped Jesus because they knew who he was. They worshipped him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, as the Son of God. They didn't have any twisted ideas about who he might be and what they might want from him. They just worshipped him for who he was. And they did and still do his bidding. And that's precisely what we should be doing. We should be joining in that celebration of the king, accepting Jesus, but like the angels as we praise him, we praise him for who he is, not who we think he might be or want to be, but for who he is as the king of kings and lord of lords. And therefore, like the angels, we will want to do his bidding. That's our role and our responsibility as we join in the the worship and the celebration this Palm Sunday. Now, the words that 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 we finish this reading with, it goes on further, but Jesus said to the Pharisees, even if nobody else praises me, the stones will cry out. 
Now, I have the most wonderful illustration of this. A friend of ours named Margaret Street was a missionary with Australian Baptists in Papua New Guinea, very highly qualified nurse, every certificate of nursing that you could get. And she went and taught people about safe midwifery and setting up clinics in villages and improving generally the, the health care of people out in remote villages. And she was so good at doing it and her material was so good that she was headhunted by the World Health Organisation. And so she went to somewhere in South America and she taught her programs there and then they asked her to go to China. So she flew to China and she, she was to teach in a university. She got to the university, found out where she was lodging, went and put her bags in her lodging place, then decided she should walk through the university and orient herself with it because she was to start teaching the next day. So she needed to find out where everything was and where she'd be and find her way through. I don't know whether the signs were in Chinese or English or what, but I presume she needed an interpreter. But she thought, no, I'll, I'll go on this little trip and I'll orient myself. So she was walking down the corridor of one of the university buildings when it suddenly struck her and she thought, what the Mary Dickens am I doing here? Every time I have taught people, it's been in a Christian context. Now her language, I, I love talking with Margaret because every now and again, about every 15 minutes, she says, I was talking to Father the other day and Father said to me, that's Heavenly Father. Lo but I love the way she just refers to him as Father. I was talking to Father or I asked Father about that or I went looking in scriptures for what Father might say. That's wonderful. And so her language is just peppered ordinarily with Christian talk. And it suddenly hit her. Here she was in this communist country where she couldn't do Christian talk the best scenario would be that she'd be deported and the worst one would be she'd be thrown in prison. And she suddenly thought, what on earth am I doing here and how on earth am I going to teach this and just witness by my life rather than being free to say what I want to say. And as she walked down the corridor, she heard music. And it was a university choir rehearsing. And as she got closer, she thought, I know that music. I know what they're singing. Would you believe they were singing the Hallelujah Chorus from the Messiah? I wrote the words down to make sure that I didn't forget them. And this is what they were saying. Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We don't make Jesus the Messiah. We don't make him King of kings and Lord of lords. He is. And if we don't worship him as such, and I don't mean just in the words, but worship him in our daily lives, he will find a way to be praised and worshipped. Even the stones will cry out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,
We give you praise at the beginning of this time of Easter that nothing at all had happened within this week leading up to Easter and over Easter weekend itself. None of it was by accident. Jesus was in complete control of the whole situation. He was no helpless victim. But Lord, there's no way ever in this world we're going to understand your love for us in allowing your son to go through this. So Father, as we come into this time of Easter, give us a deeper understanding of your love, a deeper understanding of what Jesus did for us. And Father, may we respond with a greater desire to follow you and to serve you, to do your will, that your will might be done on earth and your kingdom might come. And we ask it in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Did you need to hear that this morning? For the Lord reigns.